I wish to continue this morning along the same lines where I've been. I had no intention. I thought, I thought two services at best I would cover in answering the question, what's the purpose of my existence? I did not intend to. Naturally speaking, I almost would apologize for carrying it out, but I will not apologize because I believe that would be very offensive to the Spirit of God. Because I don't decide, I don't pick a topic and say, well, this is what I'll be speaking on today. You know I never have used days, special events, though this day many will celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And that will be brought out briefly today. What's the purpose of your existence? Last, last time here, I told you that it was for an expression of the heart of God to you. This really should be labeled... 3B, but we'll just, we'll just leave it at number 4. But I'll ask you this morning if you'll turn with me to Ephesians. I've got this in two other places that I want us to read together. And for every Especially Saturday nights or Tuesday nights as Wednesdays come around when I'm to be with you. I become more and more grievous within for the lack of wisdom that I have for a lack of the Spirit of God I and we have in this day to exalt Christ and raise Him far higher than religion has Him. I wish I could do a better job. I wish the Spirit of God would return again in great power to lift Christ to the highest pinnacle that we here on earth could see Him. It is very grievous to come down here, and when the message ends, service is over, and the final benediction has been said. I mean, that's the end of it. We all go on our merry ways. If we gain anything during, it's usually lost. But something even more grievous is that it never starts. The service never starts for most. I shouldn't say most in referring to you. Never starts. It's grievous. It is grievous to think of the many, many different methods that have been used to cover up the absence of the Spirit of God. 
We can cover it up with 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 bands and loud music and and singing songs that makes everyone feel good within. It's just a cover up that the spirit is not there. When he comes, you will not need anything. You will know that he is here. So I continue to labor, not joyfully, I enjoy declaring to you truth, hoping that it will land and be a benefit to you. But I continue laboring for the most part in a very grievous day in which we live to preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, with all that, Ephesians 1. But before we begin reading, I think in verse number 3, would you, would you join with me as we seek the Lord in prayer this, this morning? Our Father, thank you for the opportunity, the privilege bestowed that we could gather. And hopefully, Lord, that our hearts might be carried back, not just on this day, but maybe more so today, carried back looking upon the most vicious, cruel act that's ever been committed by mankind. And then looking beyond Calvary to an empty tomb. For we gather this morning to serve a risen Christ. I believe that I know, not from a historical account, but know within my heart that Jesus Christ is risen and sits on the throne of glory. I know he's not dead or in a tomb, because I speak with him. There'd be no benefit going to a tomb. Talking to one buried 2,000 years ago. I trust that these, if not already, will come to know Jesus Christ lives. And he lives forevermore. And that they too can say, I know that he lives. I know in whom I have trusted. In whom I have believed. It is a knowledge that passes far beyond 
some mental fact. But I trust and have the reality of that echoing in my heart. May these all here come to know that. Little old. And now, my Father, as we come to the inspired, thy inspired word, would you make it the living word to our hearts? Which means a work afresh and anew, lest we approach it in some religious manner and in only a dead form or ceremony. My Father, carry our hearts. Far beyond, beyond every circumstance of life, carry us to the heaven of heavens and let us see a glorified, resurrected Lamb of God. Give unction, give wisdom, Father. These folk, they don't need to hear from me. That will benefit them nothing. But Lord, if you're pleased to speak, that could have eternal significance. So help not only the speaker, but the hearer. Make us worshipers. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. here what is the purpose of my existence well beginning in verse number 3 Ephesians 1 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings got to get above this old world children because they're in heavenly places in Christ. Why this come about? Why am I here? According as he hath chosen us in him. Don't let religious folks who cannot deny God choosing, God electing, do not let them tell you that he chose based on what he saw he would do. That's works. That's taking from Christ. He didn't choose you because he saw anything good in you. He didn't choose you because he saw what you would do. He just chose you in Christ, in him, before the foundation of the world. But now, that choice has daily consequences. That you should be holy and without blame before Him in love. 
having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. That's number one why you're here. God chose you. Now whether you, you he chose you in Christ or just chose that you be in life, that's something you've got to work out, finding out if you are in him. But he chose you according to the good pleasure of his will if you are in Christ. And here is why. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. But Lord, you didn't choose me to make me happy on earth. No. Got a higher, higher place than you being holy. I'm sorry, you being happy. I do this for the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, wherein He hath abounded toward, uh, toward us in all wisdom. Second reason you're here is that all that God did in eternity, bringing it out in time, was that He might make known, that He might reveal, that He might express unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. You live in a society with religion abounding, where they use the word, well, God's there to express his love to everyone. Now, you might love a child beyond your ability to express that to them, but if they contact, contacted a deadly disease, you couldn't help them. You couldn't do anything for them. Don't tell me that God loves, and yet there's nothing that He can do about it. It's not so with God. Again, you can quote me John 3.16, For God so loved the world. And, and religion will continually quote these things, but if you actually believe that God loves everybody to the same degree, then why are there many in hell? Well, religion's got an answer. They wouldn't let him. They wouldn't cooperate. If I honestly believed that, I'd find a bigger God to serve than that. 
where an individual can hinder Almighty God because they won't let Him do something. God doesn't need you to let Him. God will use you and make you an instrument in bringing about His eternal decree. But God began His work in those wherein He would express His heart while they were dead in trespasses and sin. They couldn't cooperate with God. They couldn't help God save them. No wonder there is no worship taking place today. This God... And the one that let him do for them what they have had done are on the same plane. And so that old stupid, and I, I wished I could, could use stronger language than stupid, that old stupid hymn, religious, me and Jesus got a good thing going. No, no. No, it's not you and Jesus, it's Him alone. Make you instruments, make you obedient, make you willing in the day of His power, yes. But it's not, you're not here because you let God do something for you. Jesus didn't die hoping that one day you would let God save you. Everybody could have ended up in hell. No, everybody would have ended up in hell if that's so. The Lord said to Jeremiah, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Now listen to that next word, therefore. Because of my love, if you ever run across the word therefore in Scripture, and sometimes you will find it at the beginning of a chapter, which our translators just stuck in the chapters. It means go back to what was before it. I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Am I going to sit? Am I going to sit complacent, hoping that one day you let me express my heart to you? No, no, because I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, my love produced an action in you. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. A lot of people have been coerced, forced into making a decision for Christ. Mom, Dad wants you to. Everybody around wants you to. God by a new birth begins expressing his eternal love with a therefore having with loving kindness drawn you. The love of God is so beyond 
description beyond expression, but it is such that he must have objects for its expression. It's called eternal love. It's called eternal life. It's called everlasting life. And I've heard Mr. Barnard on two or three different occasions make this statement. said, when God speaks about eternal life, he's not talking about how long something lasts. And I couldn't, I, I just couldn't reconcile. I mean, eternal, to me it means it lasts eternal. But I didn't throw it away because of my appreciation of the old servant of God. I just kept it up here and kept running it through my mind to try to figure out what he was saying. I came one day to realize, I'm looking at the love of God from my standpoint. And when he uses the word eternal... He's talking about everlasting life. Mr. Barnes said, no, it's far more. It doesn't mean that. It's far more. Then I begin to see, he's, he's, he, that servant of God is looking at it from the standpoint of God. And when he uses the word eternal, everlasting, he's not talking about how long something lasts to us. He's talking about it. From the heart of God. Always has been, always will be. Far above wherever I can wherever I can get, far beneath ever how far I'll fall. There's the love of God. Now folk, if you are a vessel, which I could confidently say now that all of you here are a vessel for the expression of the heart of God. Number one, it is the work solely of our Lord. Romans chapter 9, 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay? Take one, one lump, fashion it every how he wants to, and another lump, fashion it in a different way. Yes, he does. If you are a vessel wherein God one day, hopefully already, but one day will begin to express His heart. One day, if you are that, one day, God knock on your heart's door. High Sheriff arrested you. Brought you to jail. Slammed the cell door shut. There you were left. This is full. If I call the names, they're all gone now. You know, you would know one or two of them. You've met one or two of them. But they told me how long, how long God held them over the pit of hell without any hope, knowing that if they died the next second, they'd spend eternity in hell.
we can't get quiet in here long enough or in our minds long enough. We think salvation's instantaneous. It might, and it is, the moment God saves you, but He might leave you in jail. You're thinking about the crimes you've committed, the sins. And if the, if the Spirit of God ever knocks on your heart's door and arrests you and convicts you, He'll come back to the cell door one day and, and He'll bring you out. And there you will stand trembling before the judge, righteous judge. One that no lawyer, there's a lot of guilty people that are walking the streets of this land today because they could afford an expensive team of lawyers. Not this judge. You've been caught, you're guilty, and you stand and you know this judge knows the crimes that you've committed, not only against society, but especially against him. The law says, i got to punish you. He can't pardon you. Can't do that. Because you've got to satisfy the law. For God to remain holy, you've got to keep the law perfectly. God can't pardon. Just look the other way, like you do sometimes with your children. And they think they got away with it. Not God. So if God can't pardon, how can He express His heart? He brings in His Son, and He stands Him alongside of you, and He tells the jailer, the sheriff, set that guilty one free. And take my son out. And with stripes. Lay on his back. Now, I was kidding with the boys about getting a little. Little limber twig off a hedge bush and striping their legs. That's not what it's talking about. By his stripes you were healed. By an old cat of nine tails the Romans used. Pleated in between every pleat where three strands come together to meet. They'd put in a sharp object such as a piece of metal or a sharp rock. And when they lay that whip, it'd wrap all the way around. And then they'd pull it. And it'd cut through. And laying 39 stripes, the bones would be staring up at him. Take my, take my son that fulfilled the law. By his stripes you're healed. And cast him 
into the darkest of dungeon where there's no possibility of the least ray of light penetrating those thick walls. Then go get him out because religion's not satisfied with him in the dungeon. Go get him out. Bring him to Pilate's hall and then to Golgotha. The crowd was so determined that he make it to the cross and there wasn't enough physical strength. They saw his life draining from him. But they wanted, they wanted to bring the most severe punishment, so they compelled Simon. You carry his cross. He can't make it. But we want him, we want him, we want him punished to the strictest, most severe sense that the law will allow. Take him to the cross. Now, folk, if you begin to see that in the Savior's heart, then the Savior's heart is being revealed to you a little bit. Go to the tomb. You find it's empty. Nobody's there. Unlike the fearing disciples that they... Oh, somebody's come taking his body. We look in an empty tomb and realize that because he's not there anymore, his perfect obedience to fulfill all the law of God and the sacrificial death and life means that God accepted it. That's my only hope of eternal life. Not some little act you performed, but what God did in bringing His Son down here and then putting Him in your place. Now, the eternal Almighty God become clothed in a body of flesh. But that wasn't as far down as he came. All dignity was stripped from him when he hung naked on the cross. Before that he came, born of humble, poor people. We don't know anything about him from the age of 12 to the age of 30, but we know that he worked probably in his father's workshop there and we know that he being brought under the curse of the law by the sweat of thy brow thou shalt earn thy living we know that he fulfilled that we know that one day God slew two animals to clothe Adam and Eve to hide their shame but we know that the son of God was stripped of all dignity very hung naked. But because of that, he's now exalted. And seeing this is from heaven looking down, our Lord on the highest pinnacle of glory, he's now seeing the fruits of his travail, of the travail of his soul. Every now and then, God 
save one. And he's seen the travail of his soul come to fruition and has saved the sinner's life on earth. And now his love expressed from glory. He says, the reason you're a child is because I loved you. The reason I didn't cast you into hell 20 years ago the first 20 years of your life was because I loved you. The reason I didn't cast you into hell when you strayed was because I loved you. Now you sit as, as an expression of the heart of God. I can only hope. I know that's not penetrating some of you, even your ears. But I can pray that one day it might, and that become true of you. You could have a heart that loves to the limit that human love could go, but you'll never be given the opportunity to express that by the person you love. It's not so with God. God will fix you and mold you, and make you where he can express it. A new heart will I give them, a new spirit will I put within them, then they shall look upon me whom they pierced. That's you, a single individual, Beneath the cross of Christ looking, he's there in my place. And this love must and will arrest all objects of that love. Turn back to Galatians 1.15. Let me now begin to give you some of the characteristics of a being that God is fitting them for an expression of his love. Verse number 15, Galatians 1, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace, Saul of Tarsus didn't know anything about that until one day the, the risen, resurrected Christ met him on, on that road and said, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? I'm, I'm just carrying out the religion of my fathers, getting rid of all these followers of Jesus. Jesus. 
He said, I am the Lord. You're persecuting me. Why did God choose him? To reveal his son. Now, I know that this was the great apostle. This also will take place in your heart. To reveal his son. The heart of the Son, the heart of the Father. I say, if I say the love of God, I include the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's all equal. God chose you to reveal His Son in you. Now this one, they might preach Him among the heathen. So Paul said, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. I knew who it was I met. I knew what he did for me. I didn't need somebody to say, now you're saved. God called. God fitted him. Another characteristic other than God fitting within, making you a vessel wherein He can be honored and express His heart. He gives you the Holy Ghost. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8.14, they are the sons of God. A lot of folk call their intuition and their natural senses the Spirit. Well, the Spirit led me. And all they're talking about is their natural inclinations. Their sins. So if you want to do something, you do it and you say, The Spirit led me to do it. And if you don't want to do something, you don't do it and you blame the Spirit. The Spirit directed me not to do that. But His work, He's always, always, always leading you away from the old man and all your senses. Quit blaming God for the lack of your, in, for your inactivity. For the dullness of your duties. Well, I didn't feel like it, so that had to be the Spirit of God. No, he leads you away from all your natural senses, away from all that religion is teaching, has taught, and it leads you to himself, always leading you in that direction. One last Hebrews chapter number 12. Here's another Characteristic of one being fitted for the heart of God manifest to them. Being fitted as to your purpose on life. For your purpose in life is not to get married, have children, have a good job, have a nice home. Have a good income coming in, setting up a good retirement. That's not why you're here. 
And yet natural sense carries us no higher than these things. Oh, to make sure that God continues to bless, we'll add a little religion in it. God will give you all these things. But he didn't give them that your life terminate on anything here but in him. Secondly, Hebrews 12, 5, or maybe third. One of the characteristics of one being a vessel made where God can express his heart. Hebrews 12, 5, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise it. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom none left out, everyone included. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth every son whom he received. One of the most fitting descriptions of one outside the boundaries of God expressing his heart to and his great love is you having the freedom. To talk like you want to, do what you want to do, live like you want to, with the absence of a rebuke from God. If God will let you go on and never call you into the closet, say, son, we're going to get this straightened out. And he takes a rod and he chastens you. Do not think that you're a vessel of love. Not yet at least. When you are free to go your own way, do your own thing, whatever you want to do, and God never interferes, you're outside the bounds of the expression of the love of God. You've got no closet. For now and again tears will twinkle down your face due to a wrong deed, due to a cold and different unconcerned heart. Your closet knows nothing of you like that. It's been a long time since you wept because you couldn't weep. A long time since tears flowed down your face because you hadn't had a word from God. And your Bible's a dead letter. Paraphrasing one of the old writers from 200 years ago, said there is no truth in experimental religion more verified than this. 
that the severest discipline of our Heavenly Father springs from His deepest love and His holiest love. If God doesn't discipline you, God doesn't love you. Telling you love your children too much to discipline them. No. Whether you do or whether you don't, rest assured, God's not going to leave you insensitive. You read of his crucifixion, if you can hear of his crucifixion, if you read or you can hear of his resurrection, and the heart remain indifferent, you don't know. What the love of God is. There's the greatest love of God expressed. Oh, some of the sweetest words I've ever had expressed to me is when God raised his finger in my heart and said, You're guilty of this. And heard from him in a while. There's more love in his rebukes, no matter the severity. And in his rod, no matter how painful, there's more love in that and a greater desire for your well-being than in the most loving, tenderest affections that a thousand parents could put together of their children. When God takes a rod to you, and God awakens and strikes you because you've lived for months without a voice of God within. Now close on this to today. You don't know from whether to go from here or if we will. The love of God expressed is not a once in a lifetime experience. Because you walked the aisle and because somebody told you were, you were saved and because somebody said do this and I promise God will save you. The love of God, you can only hope to be a daily expression. It is high time we awakened ourselves and we rose from this careless indifference. God not having manifest his heart to us in a long time. He's going to quit talking to you completely if you don't do something about this. It's not a once in a lifetime. Well, God, that first time you held that little bundle of delight that you brought into the world, or that your wife, you and your wife, that wasn't the last time that your heart was ever expressed to it. That was only the beginning. 
so is the birth in the family of God. It's just the beginning. But you know what? I, I sound like a tinkling cymbal and sounding brass. Talking to you about something that's lost in our day. And that is an expression of the heart of God throughout my lifetime. The love of God expressed is an obsolete term. Oh, they believe in Calvary. They believe in the cross and the resurrection. They believe He lived. They believe He was holy. They believe He died. But it's just in your head. An obsolete term. Jesus Christ sits on the throne of glory to make all His children fitted for an expression of the fullness of His heart. You know what? That's just a cold, dead fact in our day. It lies in religious folks' heads. But it never reaches our heart. I don't know where you are. Oh, I do. I know far more than you think I do about you. Whether you believe this or not, God knows my heart. Most of the time, I can look into your eyes and tell you about your being. I know if there's life beaming forth. I know if there's grief or sorrow. I know. Where are you, dear soul? Is God, are you an instrument, a vessel, not only fitted for His glory, but being fitted for the expression of His heart? Are you? Some of you ought to find a closet this afternoon. Who God only knows. Well, I'll leave that between the individual hearts here. Would to God there be some souls come back and say, God did this for me when I got home. Shut the door, walk down through the woods, whatever. God did this for me.